You have heard it all before. One degrees warmer, polar ice caps melting, rising sea levels. In fact, you might be a little inundated in climate change information. Most oftentimes you'll see a lot of information about the scientific portion of climate change. And on occasion you'll see something about the policy of climate change. When it comes to green initiatives and all different kinds of processes that are happening on the local and on the provincial and country level. However, what we don't often see is the connection between the two. How do we take what we know about climate change and put it into action? My name is Louis Colorotolo, and I am a PhD student at the University of Guelph in the Food Science Department, trying, honestly, just trying my best over here. And while I am not working on my PhD, which I definitely should be doing, I like to interview other graduate students that are recently graduated or are currently doing their studies to find out what they're learning about and how what they're doing is super important to our everyday lives. So today we are talking with Lisa Ashton. And Lisa does a lot of bridge building. She is not a structural engineer, but she does figure out a way in order to get climate policy implemented by understanding the connections between the science and how it is implemented on the local level with incentive programs, talking to farmers, and making communication easy to understand. Now remember, as graduate students, learning things is our thing. Which naturally means that we don't know everything, which is why you are listening to another episode of We Know Some Stuff. Hi, Lisa. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am doing all right over here. Could you do us a favor and walk us through your educational history? Yeah, sure. Um, so I did a bachelor's in social science at the University of Ottawa in international development. Um, and that's where I really developed an interest in agricultural's role in climate change and more of a global perspective. Um, and then I went on and did a master's in global change, ecosystem science at the University College of Dublin. And um, just two years ago, I started my PhD in the geography department at the University of Guelph. Um, and that's where I am right now. All right. So you, you've been quite far. You've, you, you have traveled a little bit in order to do your entire uh, history. Yeah. Yeah. I went to Ireland because I really wanted to develop a more, I guess, a more holistic understanding of kind of the policy and the ecosystem science aspects of um, agricultural's role in climate change, both as a source of emissions, but also as a sink. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why I went there. I, I I found a program that I found quite interesting and just kind of went for it. You know, I have to admit, and this is only because I've, I've never been, but I feel like Ireland is the place to study agriculture. I'm thinking green hills. I'm thinking sheep. I'm thinking those walls made out of stone that everyone's always talking about. <laughs> yeah, and it is an interesting place. Um, they, they have a, a quite a significant um, livestock sector, so that was quite interesting to learn about. Um, and also um, thinking about kind of agricultural's role in climate change, um, their agricultural sector is a significant part of their national greenhouse gas emissions. So agriculture and climate change was kind of a big conversation there. So I learned a lot about that. So that was, yeah, that was just a really great experience. And is that because they're like more of an agricultural country, less of an industrial country that uh, their agriculture is a bigger kind of a portion of their greenhouse gases? 
Yeah, um, I, I guess I don't really know the, the specifics of, of that. That's actually a great question. I think partly because the agricultural sector is so large in comparison to, to other sectors, like you mentioned, and because they do have quite a large dairy and, and beef sector, and because those sectors um, uh, historically are, are quite large methane and, and nitrous oxide emitters, that's kind of leads to, to them being a big a big part of their total greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but they do have some ambitious targets to really start to bring that down. Oh, yeah. Well, that is uh, some very interesting stuff. But let's let's roll back. Let's roll back to the native lands. Let's bring <laughs> the conversation back to Canada. Uh, so what are you doing right now in a PhD? So my research looks at the governance of natural climate solutions in the agricultural sector. So basically what I'm doing is I'm looking at the different markets and policies and initiatives that encourage or incentivize agricultural producers to adopt practices that show potential to um, mitigate climate change. Um, so that's what I'm doing and, and basically trying to understand the landscape of different markets like carbon markets and different policies like climate action plans and, and how those are really influencing farmers to um, play a role in climate mitigation. All right. So if I were to sum this up and please tell me if I'm very wrong, but you're kind of studying like uh, the rewards and benefit programs governments have for farmers to follow new climate practices. Yes, that's, that's definitely a part of it. Um, but uh, that is that's kind of one piece because um, over time, industry and civil society have also started to play a more central role in um, encouraging and, and, and developing mechanisms that can influence how agriculture is done, basically. So civil society is, is definitely involved in awareness and advocacy campaigns that um, encourage farmers to adopt more sustainable practices in industry, um, like, um, for example, agribusinesses like Bayer and um, Cargill have recently launched um, carbon programs that enroll farmers to adopt more um, climate-friendly practices. So um, we're, we're seeing a diverse range of actors in this ecosystem, not just government playing a, a leadership role. Oh, so yeah, that is uh, very interesting. There are a lot of hands working towards this right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and it, it is um, definitely becoming more diverse in terms of who's involved and who's interested as, as time goes on. All right, so now I'm going to ask a question, which I feel if you're listening to a science radio show, you're probably, you know, not in the dark about this question. But, uh, Lisa, what what is climate change? Can you just sum it up for us? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, those big, broader questions are sometimes the toughest questions uh, to answer. But um, over over time, um, humans have um, emitted CO2 and um, other greenhouse gas emissions into um, the atmosphere, which has caused a um, global warming effect. And um, climate change is really kind of the, the result of that. Yeah, and of course, climate change affects the oceans and the atmosphere and all different other kinds of things. But this is, we're not we're not talking about climate change today, so much so as the physical effects of it. You study more about the, am I crazy to say the social effects? Yeah, yeah, definitely more on the, the social side um, and um, more about kind of how 
um, organizations and government and, and industry or are organizing themselves either competitively or cooperatively to address climate change. All right. So competitively or cooperative. Co- co- oh, that is a tough word. Co- <laughs> Sorry, co- I think I even said that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what is cooperative? Co- oh, oh, you're going to have to help me out here. Cooperatively? Co- co- cooperatively? Yeah, is that there you go. <laughs> cooperative. All right. All right. Well, we'll yeah, all right. Take. Okay. Uh, so competitive or cooperative? Oh my God! Yeah, we'll just because... skip that part. <laughs> <laughs> so either working together or yes, working against <laughs> each other—that is what we're gonna do. All right, all right. Yeah. So either working together or working against each other. Uh, why would anyone want to work against each other? Yeah, I guess it's not so much working against each other, but not um, not working in a way that you're addressing communal objectives. So um, some of my preliminary results have shown that um, in some places we're really seeing kind of a more project-specific approach to um, natural climate solution adoption in agriculture because different organizations and different um, levels of government have their own programs and their own initiatives, which by and large are are great and well-intended and produce outcomes, but there's opportunities for them to be better aligned um, and better um, coherently addressing um, the problem. Um, So I guess that's kind of what I mean in terms of either working together or not working together. I gotcha. Yeah. So then, you know, I've always wondered how does, let's say uh, for this instance, let's say a company, Mm -hmm. how does a company decide how they want to go green? Yeah. So um, what we're really seeing um, in terms of more specific about climate change um, mitigation within um, the agricultural sector is that um, agri-food companies um, and agribusinesses are setting science-based targets, and that's through the Science-Based Target Initiative, where they set um, targets that either align with the Paris Agreement's 1.5 um, goals or, or two or two degree two degrees warming Celsius as well. Um, and and what they're they're doing then is then um, taking those targets and then looking at their supply chains and and looking at their impact on land and better understanding where they can effectively reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, which in in some cases actually improves um, things like their energy efficiency or their efficiency in how they operate. And then also, especially agri-food companies, because they're sourcing products from farmers who manage lands, who um, and in some cases are are sources for greenhouse gas emissions, they're developing projects that um, help farmers or work with farmers to um, develop more sustainable uh, or even regenerative agricultural practices. So to say the least, this is, it's not simple. It's not like, okay, farmers use less water. And then, you know, a year later we say, how much water did you use? Big time. And, And measuring those outcomes is can be quite challenging. It can be also, um, it can be uncertain and because you're, you're trying to measure an ecosystem, which is not just black and white. Um, and it can also be very costly as well when you're trying to do soil samples um, and using other technologies as well. It, it can be quite expensive. Um, so yeah, there, there are definitely barriers to really move this forward. But I think because they're 
there has been such an emerging interest in it. Um, I'm definitely hopeful to see kind of where this goes. That is such a good point because this is, it's everywhere. You hear the buzzword climate change everywhere you go. And that's because it's a really big (laughs) issue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So then when you go into a program like you're going into right now, are you just reading textbooks? Are you making phone calls? What what in the world do they do? Um, in terms of, of what, what do I do? Yeah, what do you do? Okay. What do I do? Yeah. So um, a big part of my first year, I guess year and a half, almost two years, I really wanted to get a more multidisciplinary understanding of what agriculture's role in climate change was. Um, So I did a lot of networking with people that were kind of outside of my um, I guess, comfort zone or immediate bubble um, to really understand kind of, or not really understand, but kind of dip my toes in the understanding of things like soil science and economics um, and the more social aspects of things, because I'm a little bit more in the governance policy market um, world, I guess. Um, so that that really helped me to better understand um, what's going on. So yeah, definitely um, networking. But in terms of kind of what methods I, I'm I'm doing, I did a really big literature review. So yes, lots and lots of reading to really understand kind of the state of knowledge, but then also the practical aspects of, of what's going on. Um, and then now um, I recently um, did quite a few key informant interviews um, to, to really understand experts and stakeholders' perspectives on how um, Canadian agriculture um, can really start to advance natural climate solutions adoptions and what are the key enabling conditions and the barriers to, to do that. Well, then what are the key enabling (laughs) conditions and and barriers. Yeah, so these are just um, preliminary um, outcomes. um, But in in kind of what my literature review has shown and kind of my interpretation of it is that Canada has, um, in some cases, has a a more project-specific approach, like I mentioned. Um, And I I think there may be more calls for unification. And we we saw that recently with the development or sorry, the release of the Canadian Climate Action Plan, um, a healthy environment and a healthy um, economy. And and that really kind of, in my perspective, it really started to to hone in on that we really need a national strategy. And within that plan, there is a natural climate solution strategy for agriculture that was proposed um, and greenhouse gas targets, uh, specifically around fertilizer. So having those key elements of Um, having clear targets that everyone understands and having a strategy that also everyone also understands, but also can identify their roles within those strategies. I think those are definitely um, key aspects. And it was great to see that in a recent policy piece. Yeah. And that one is relatively recent, isn't it? Yeah. So that came out in December 2020, I guess. Yeah. So a couple months ago, I forget what time and what year we're in at this point. Um, But yeah, and and those things are, are proposed. I don't think anything is set in stone yet, but it's just kind of exciting to see agriculture being um, looked at in more of a um, critical vector aspect of climate mitigation um, within within Canada. Yeah, so that kind of thing is is ridiculously important as far as the first steps to getting something done. Um, I mean, imagine like when you're cooking a meal, you want to have all your ingredients ready before you start cooking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's usually the <laughs> usually the goal. <laughs> 
Yeah, right? So so if if we have this unified goal, everyone is playing a slightly different part in it, or is everyone held to the same exact standards? I, I don't think I can definitely answer that um, right now, because those the like how those goals and targets will look like, uh, um, to my knowledge, it's not public information yet and not exactly um, broken down to that aspect. But I, I think when we think about greenhouse gas targets just more broadly, um, I think industry, individuals, civil society and government, they all have a role to play. Um, but those roles definitely look different and, and maybe more in the industry. Um, it's more what is responsible investment and what does what does that look like and how does that influence change and, and government maybe it's more what policies can we better align to achieve climate targets and then more of a, a civil society aspect. How do we mobilize that action? How do we create awareness? And then at the individual level, how do we make those changes within our day to day lives? How do we have more um, constructive conversations about our role in climate change and and, and so forth. So yeah, um, I think everyone, when we think about it more broadly, I think everyone definitely has a role to play and, and sometimes those roles definitely look different. Okay, okay. So then up until this point, and this is just because my brain only works on, you know, sort of a straight path. It sounds like all you have right now is just a, a, a so much knowledge. So much knowledge. Uh, what what do you do with that? Um, in terms of like next steps after PhD or next steps um, right now. <laughs> I like both. Let's do both. Yeah. So right now, um, working on publishing papers, so I can definitely share what I know, um, and working on um, different avenues of of sharing that research, not just in peer review, but also in, in platforms like op-eds or um, more publicly accessible reports. Um, and yeah, I think that's really important to, to kind of diversify the communications of, of what I know and um, that might spark some more conversations on, on how I can improve, but then also how, how does this research better inform um, uh, climate action and agriculture. And then um, next steps after my PhD, I um, actually don't know. <laughs> I, wow. I, I know what I really care about. And I think that um, that will keep me motivated. And I think when you stay focused on that, you, doors kind of just start opening. Well, not necessarily just open for you, but when you follow what you're interested in, it feels easier. You, you find a hallway with a lot of doors. You still yes, have to open them yourself, exactly. but you're in yeah. the hallway. Yeah, exactly. Not to say opportunities fall, just fall on your lap, but yeah. I think, yeah, things get easier when you find what you really care about. Yeah, and that is, it's such an abstract concept in its own sense. But this, what you're doing right now is arming you really for the future to make change. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of one of the goals, absolutely. And then... When the when your PhD is done, do you have anything to claim like, ah, yes, this is what I did and this is how it is helping what is happening right now? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. One of my um, goals for my research is to um, integrate a co-design aspect. So people that are um, that I work with and that I um, interview and that I include in and in stakeholder engagement, it's, it's more of a co-design aspect. So they are able to provide feedback um, and hopefully um, create, create more um, connections around this specific topic. 
Um, so I, I hope to contribute that, um, if nothing less or nothing else. Um, yeah, just more creating space to, to have more constructive conversations about this. Um, and then also, so, um, in terms of, of my research, one of the goals is to identify pathways um, policy and, and governance pathways that can um, better enable Canada to advance natural climate solution adoption in the agricultural sector. So, uh, um, yeah, that's kind of one of the other outputs that I that I hope to produce. All right. So then you work a lot with other people from many different, uh, you said, industries, you said government, you said civil, civil something. I don't remember what that was. Uh, <laughs> NGOs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. There you go. Uh, so you work with a lot of different people from a lot of different sectors. Um, what do you find to be the most challenging thing when communicating with people from different sectors? Yeah, and I, I think this is something that I just kind of came to realize um, reading and, and speaking to people about this is that um, in specifically in agriculture, there's multiple different terms um, like natural climate solutions. That's kind of what my research is focused on is how can agriculture be a source um, for solutions to climate change. But then also um, there's other terms as well that are describing a very similar suite of on-farm practices like regenerative agriculture, soil health practices, conservation agriculture. There's multiple different terms and different groups are using different terms and, and different organizations kind of hone their, hone their own definition for those terms. So I think um, that can be quite challenging um, in terms of, and I think you, you would see this in many different sectors, um, different industry and, and organizations and government, they use kind of their own language and terminology that, that they feel comfortable with. And I think that can definitely be a communication challenge for sure, is kind of wading through those different terms and, and trying to create some sort of coherency when you're actually talking about the same thing, but using different terms. <laughs> Yeah. So this this concept of jargon, you know, using field specific terms to describe something incredibly specific mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in general, would you say that it would be a lot easier if everyone went by the same definition or does the jargon really have a purpose in certain cases? Yeah, no, I think the jargon does have a purpose. Um, I think that sometimes it is challenging, though, when you have your own jargon and then you see another organization have a, or a different, even a different sector having a different jargon. And how do you kind of, how do you actually talk about what you're, you're both talking about, but using, I guess, um, terms that you both feel comfortable with? So I think that's that's challenging. And also it's very challenging when you're trying to communicate something complex to the general public that maybe just wants an overview of what's going on, but doesn't really want to know the nitty gritty of things. So that can be also quite challenging is translating jargon into more accessible language, which um, I've, I've definitely struggled with, but I think that's definitely an important aspect of, of your research of being able to better communicate to a, to a wider audience. Yeah, and I think uh, everyone to some degree has probably seen this. I know I see it all the time, jargon that is like impossible for me to understand. I'll read a paper that says something about like the T48s and the HELAs and the, I don't know yeah. what any of these things mean. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely, definitely challenging. But I am, and thinking about kind of um, like 
terms like natural climate solutions, it's describing a, a subset of, of practices that have potential for climate change mitigation, but also create co-benefits. Whereas when you're talking about regenerative agriculture, you're talking about something totally different, but you're, you're, you're in some ways insinuating the same practices. So it is, yeah, it, it can be challenging and can create it to be can create the language to be a bit inaccessible but i think that that's also an area of research to make that more accessible <laughs> yeah that's like layers and layers of yeah. stuff so <laughs> do you have a favorite acronym because i know people love acronyms so much especially government um well, I guess the acronym I most regularly, I don't know if you would even call it an acronym, but um, it, it, my research is focused on natural climate solutions. So the, the short form is NCS. So that's that's kind of what's all over my documents right now is NCS. <laughs> when you are studying uh, and looking and talking with people and you're trying to determine the benefits and you're trying to determine the barriers, uh, ultimately, are you coming up with sort of um, any conclusions that right at the forefront of your brain right now, are you saying like, hey, if we don't overcome this hurdle, we're not going to be able to make much progress? Yeah, um, I, I think the, the the leadership is is definitely something that that's needed. Um, and then one hurdle that I find quite interesting is how we use technology and how technology can better inform our um, and better inform policies and programs and, and markets. Um, and, and measuring the outcomes of natural climate solutions can be quite costly, like I mentioned, and, and can be uncertain. Um, so I think that's a, a real big hurdle in Canada is to really um, catalyze the development of technology that can better inform our understanding of um, agriculture's impact on climate change. Yeah, because in order to make these uh, science-based policies, you need science to yeah. do it, right? Exactly, yeah. So yeah, I think that's a, a, a huge a huge piece of it. Um, and, and better integrating our understanding um, from the data from, from technology to actually inform um, what, what we're doing and how we're, we're governing. All right, so when we think about like modern technology that can do these kinds of things are we talking about like uh, you know real-time reporters are we are we talking about like maybe farmers using apps in order to report things like what can you give me an idea of what this technology is yeah absolutely uh when we we think about this technology for example um one would be remote sensing um, another would be um, soil samples and, and soil probes um and another would be um computed models so um models that that are already have the al algorithms in the back and then the farmer inputs what practices they have adopted what um crop rotations they have and so on and, and, and kind of give them an um, estimate of their greenhouse gas impacts and and some such as comet farm in the u.s can even start to recommend some practices for them to adopt um, so yeah, there's multiple different um, ways to to measure um, and and understand monitor um, natural climate solution outcomes. Um, I think one of the next steps really is to start to integrate those so that they provide assurance to each other um, in terms of what they're 
they're finding. Um, and, and I think that's, that's quite interesting, an almost network of technologies to inform our, our understanding. That it's such a fascinating kind of concept. I'm thinking uh, mainly about the models right now where there's algorithms in the background of this little app or whatever the farmer mm-hmm. is using, and they input their own data. And it can say like, hey, maybe try to do this. That's like some real intervention right there. Yeah, no, it's it's really impressive, and and obviously there's um, limitations to that, um, and that's why things like um, complementing that computed models with soil samples and remote sensing is is definitely important. Right, and that just kind of makes uh, this is a word that a lot of people use a, a more robust. Yes, yeah, exactly. System. Yeah, there you go. You got it. <laughs> right, right. So, so okay. You have a little bit of soil sample. You have some algorithms and beep beep boop boop. You got an app. You got smartphones. You got real time sensing. All of this together goes to collect current data and past data. So then, ultimately, you guys want future data. What do we do about how do we how do we get future data? Um, in terms of projections. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert in that, but I think computed models plays a huge role in that as well. Um, in terms of, of future climate data, um, you can also look into the past. I know a lot of paleo scientists, when they look at um, previous, um, what do you call them? Not eras. Are they eras? Uh, the... <laughs> periods i don't know yeah um anyways yeah so when they look into the past like um, millions of years and they they understand kind of what the atmospheric composition was and the temperatures that that information can really inform um our understanding of what can live in different atmospheric and and, and temperatures in the future um and then i'm sure everyone knows the ice core samples those are, that's another way of, of projecting the future but yeah like i said definitely not an expert in, in that world <laughs> I'm just just aware of them. So, you know, what I think is something that a lot of people unfortunately take away from a conversation, listening to a conversation like this, is just doom and gloom, Lisa. <laughs> can you brighten our day? Can you do something that's going to leave us a little less sad? Sure. Yeah, my intention is definitely not doom and gloom. Um uh, I think it's it's quite exciting that um, when we think about agriculture, absolutely it, it's part of um, it's a source of greenhouse gas emissions, but it also can play a very important role in providing solutions to climate change as farmers adopt different practices on their um, cultivated lands like no tillage and, and cover cropping and so on. Um, and, and they also play a, a critical role in um, protecting and restoring things like wetlands and, and forests as well on their on their agricultural landscapes. And I, and I think that's really exciting to, to think about how um, farmers in Canada and globally can play a leadership role in climate action because we don't necessarily always look at them that way. Um, so I think that's that's quite positive and exciting. And then I think another um, um, a really positive thing to look at is the, the diverse actors that are really starting to want to be leaders in climate action or not even leaders, but want to be part of the conversation and want to engage. Um, I think that's that's really great. And I think that is w- when we get more people um, pushing something forward, then then we we get closer to our goals. So I think that's that's really hopeful and exciting. But obviously, yeah. 
So I don't mean to put a negative spin on it. It is a big problem and we still have lots of work to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. We can't talk all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. Um, so the thing that I think and, and my takeaway from this right now is what you're doing is ridiculously important. Because we got scientists like me. I'm going to just be like, yeah, one degree centigrade increase in the carbon CO2 emission of cow burping and blah, 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 which that's not what I study. But, uh, you know, I can only say so much about facts. We need to rely on people like you to translate that to get something done about it. Yeah, I, that's very flattering. I don't know if I'm doing that just yet, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely requires both. Right, because you got to work on the end of uh, working amongst the farmers and the industry and the government to see what everyone needs and in order to align goals because we can't we can't do it alone. No, absolutely not. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah. So uh, could you do us a favor? And I know that you, honestly, you, you study so much, it's making my brain numb in the front part. Uh, could you summarize or give us like maybe a moral of the story of what you're doing and why it's important? Sure. Yeah. So um, my research looks at what, what can we do to effectively encourage or incentivize Canadian farmers to adopt natural climate solutions that not only show potential to mitigate climate change, but also have co-benefits like um, improved soil health or even improved on-farm efficiency, improved water quality, and so on. Um, so this, this is important um, to me, but um, I think on a, a wider scale as well that we when we look at um, the role of climate action within agricultural, it's not just about climate. We, we can produce other co-benefits, and I think that's a really important thing to, to look at and to consider. Yeah, that honestly, it, it sounds like it's <laughs> ridiculously important. You say really important. I'm going to go with ridiculously important. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it's really, really important. And I, I think it's it's great to see that there are um, initiatives that that are pushing that forward as well. So it's not all doom and gloom. We have some hope for the future. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. It really was eye opening. I had no idea that so much goes behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. It was it was great to, to chat with you. I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that this was not your first time ever hearing about climate change. With it being such an important issue today, we hear so much about the scientific facts, about this degree increasing, and the ocean and the water, but we don't hear so much about how we take those scientific facts, disseminate them, and get something done about them. That's where people like Lisa Ashton come in. She is making those ties from climate research in the agricultural sector all the way to implementing them on farms here in Ontario. So we've come to the episode of We Know Some Stuff, and at the end of every episode, we always like to do a fact check because we have to prove the fact that we don't know all the stuff, which is why the show is called We Know Some Stuff. A little circular, I know. Either way, both Lisa and I reviewed the recording a couple of times and we decided that we are happy with what was said. Nothing came to our attention that particularly needed correcting. However, that does not mean that we are 100% on absolutely everything that we said is going to be completely true in the near future. Which is why we are always looking to review, rinse, and repeat. 
So come there be a day where what we said is incredibly untrue, we'll be happy to re-fact check ourselves and clarify any discrepancies. That brings us to the end of our episode, and throughout the recording I only accidentally called Lisa's field of geography, geology three times. I swear I know the difference, but I unfortunately had to edit out every single time I said geology. So enjoy this clip of my very first, and not my last, time I said geology. Geology. Uh, geography. <laughs> geography, my bad. What's the difference? I know there's a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of We Know Some Stuff.